Zuzana Bizdek was murdered on April 4th, 2014, and this is her mother's story. Please be aware that although all of our episodes are tragic, this story is the murder of a child, and listeners may find it particularly distressing. Hello, this is Cassia. Hi, Cassia. It's Kelly calling from Morning the Murdered podcast. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm good. Morning the Murdered is a podcast I created because in 1999, a friend of mine was murdered. My name is Kelly, and I am your host. I saw the effects that murder have on family members, and I wanted to give a voice to the loved ones of murdered victims. Every week, I interview the family member of a murder victim. So please be sure to tune in every Thursday to hear their stories on Morning the Murdered podcast. Woodbridge, Illinois is a southwestern suburb of Chicago and the home of the Home Run Inn pizza chain. Albert Kaufman was a housing developer who was mainly responsible for creating this suburb. In 1959, the population was only 500 and now is over 30,000. Woodbridge sits in a wooded area overlooking DuPage River's East Branch. In 2007, this community was ranked 61st in Money Magazine's Top 100 Places to Live. So you can imagine how lovely a place it can be. For the past 16 years, Woodbridge has been named a tree city by the Arbor Day Foundation. This recognition is given to towns that contribute to urban and forestry development. And this town, with its many parks and walking trails and golf courses, certainly is a place that encourages outdoor living. You can enjoy many relaxing hours sitting in one of their beautiful parks or on the grounds of their spectacular churches. Let's start from the beginning. My name is Kasia Shushka, and I, we will be speaking about my daughter, Zuzana. Uh, she was taken uh, by my husband, like her father. It happened six years ago. Um, April 4 of 2014. This is a devastating case of domestic violence. There was no obvious abuse, no physical abuse, no bruises. There was emotional abuse. An abuse that many people don't realize they are living through. The emotional abuse typically begins very slowly. At first, the partner may be a loving, caring, complimentary person. But over time, the compliments of how nice you look and what a nice outfit you're wearing turn to, are you actually going to wear that? And these comments become more and more hurtful, disparaging, belittling. Slowly, the victim may find themselves in a relationship that is extremely controlling and often they're not sure how they got there. Outsiders often don't see this emotional abuse, as these abusers are often extremely personable and well-liked by the outside world. 
In this case, Zuzana and Cassia's story, daughter and mother, is one where the mother was living through this very type of abuse. Zuzana was loved by her father, spoiled even. There was never a time when Cassia thought that her beloved, precious, precocious, wonderful daughter would be harmed by her father. Never did she think that she would be living with the sorrow and pain she has been sentenced to. Never did she think that their family would be in the news for such a heinous crime. Never could she ever imagine that her daughter would be murdered at the hands of her husband. This is the story of Zuzana Bizdek's murder. Tell me, what was Zuzana like as a child? She died when she was three and a half. Uh, as a child, she was very, very outgoing. She was very happy. She was full of sunshine. She spoke, I would say, two and a half languages. She spoke uh, fluently Polish. She spoke English. And she spoke part of Czech. Wow, so she was incredibly bright. She was incredibly bright. She loved uh, music. She loved technology. She loved phones and iPads and iPods. She would walk into the room just being three or two and a half or two or three and a half. She knew everybody everywhere. She knew her directions. When I would put her in the car, I would go to McDonald's. She knew we were going to McDonald's. She knew we would go to Home Depot. She was just a little bright sunshine. She loved pink. She loved pink clothes. <laughs> she loved changing. She loved dancing. She was just that spark that walks into the room and the room sparks up. She was just all over. She, like I say, she had that influence on everybody. She would just smile and those blue eyes and those ponytails bouncing all over. Aww. She was just, she was perfect. Ah, let's say she would want a different clothing than I would have given her. She would have gone to pull out all the drawers and pull them all out and put her own clothes on. And, or if she wouldn't want to go to sleep, she would be like, hey, yeah, <laughs> bouncing in my bed, da 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 or this and this. And she would uh, connect her iPad to the TV. I still don't know how to do that. She oh. would dance, play her music. I don't know how to do all the technology. She knew it. Seven years ago, <laughs> she would just she was just there for me all the time. That was a perfect bond between me and her. Zuzana and her mother had an incredibly close bond. They enjoyed playing together and laughing and cuddling. Cassia loved to watch her daughter dance around the house and fill each room she entered with love and joy. Zuzana's bigger-than-life personality made it impossible for you not to laugh along with her antics and fall in love with her. Whether it was her stubborn side that declared she was wearing pink yet again today, even if it meant she was going to change out of the adorable outfit she was already wearing, or her infectious smile that melted your heart in an instant. Zuzana wiggled her way inside you and stayed there, making each day brighter and happier. Cassia would be at work 
thinking about her daughter, knowing that when she got home there would be a warm hug waiting for her, a squeeze that would take all stresses from the day right out of her, instantly. Having the evening available for the fun that would come with her vibrant daughter made her days happy and loving. Horribly, terrible sadness occurred one day when she was at work. It started out like any other day. Cassia was a hairstylist and was working on her customer's hair when she received a telephone call from her teenage daughter, who was at home. A call that would change the course of her life forever. What happened to poor little uh, Zuzana? Uh, she was, I had two kids from the previous marriage. They were obviously older. And then my husband, I met him. He impressed me. He gave me what I didn't have before. The attention, like take me out, give me this, get me this. Because he was a single uh, and uh, he was the only child. He obviously didn't have kids. So I was 29 and he's like, yeah, let's have kids. This is it. And I decided, yeah, I'm 29, I can have a kid. So Zuzanka came to this world and everything. And um, in the beginning, everything was cool and cute. But then I, as the years went by, like year, year and a half, he started being possessive over her. So he would take her to sleep downstairs with him. He would buy her whatever she wanted, like an iPad, brand new iPhone, the bicycle that she wanted, whatever she wanted. And I... Looked over this, I'm like, hey, honey, she's little, she's two, she's three, she doesn't need this. And he's like, yeah, she's my only child, she needs this and this and this. And the arguments arise and stuff, and I started seeing, uh, like, emotional domestic violence in the relationship. But he was two-faced, like, the two-faced, that everything was different at home and everything was different on the outside. So none of my friends or family would ever consider all... Oh, this is what's going on at home. So after a year or so, I'm like, honey, let's divorce. If this is not working out, this and this. And I went to the lawyer, uh, drafted paperwork for the divorce. And he's like, yeah, everything will do it. Let's once you get home, this and this. He took a day off and um, another day off. And I went to work this morning. She was three and a half and she insisted on me breastfeeding her this morning. So I had to sit on the edge of the bed and strip for her and, like, pretend that I'm breastfeeding. I wasn't breastfeeding. And I went to work. That little incident was just a little off, but I didn't think of it as something, whatever. And during the day, like, around 2 p.m., I get a phone call from my older daughter. Mom, something is wrong in the house. I'm like, baby, what's wrong? And my daughter, she was 15 at a time. She's like, Mom, there's blood under the door, under your bedroom door, and I can't get in. The first thing comes to your mind, I'm like, please call 911. As she did, she dropped the phone call. So I went ballistic at work. I went ballistic at work. All the, all, and your mind is circling, something is wrong, da da da. You try calling back my daughter and my son. Nobody's picking up. So I went back to the bathroom. I started hitting walls, crying, just going crazy. I knew at that moment that something was wrong. 
my family calls me and they're like, you're not driving home, we'll pick you up and this and this. It took my family like two hours to get to get to get to my workplace when it usually takes 30 minutes. So imagine that time frame that I was there with my customers coloring their hair in the middle of everything, not knowing what's going on. By the time my family got to me, I'm like, what's going on? What's wrong? They're like, yeah, all they told us is uh, for you to go to Edwards Hospital in Naperville. That was the longest drive ever from my work to the hospital. The minute I got there, the first question, of course, was my daughter. The nurse takes me to a room. It was a white room. There's nothing there besides the chair. A doctor comes in like a few minutes later. First thing I do is, where is my daughter? Doctor looks at me and he's like, can you sit down? I'm like, no, I can't sit down. I want to know where my daughter is. And he looks at me again and he asks me again, can you sit down? I'm like, no, I am not going to sit down. I want to know what happened to my daughter. And my daughter is. And he looks at me and he's like, your daughter is dead? as well as your husband is. My goodness. I had a fit. I started crying. I started punching the walls all over that room. I was kneeling down and standing up and walking around and pacing around. I couldn't stop. I was like, can I see my daughter? And the doctor is like, no. I'm like, how could you not? I'm like, what happened? Oh, we can tell you this and this and this. That was the worst day of my life. Believe it or not, I was put in a situation that I did not know what to do. And why couldn't the doctor tell you what had happened? Because they wanted the police to tell you? or Yes, yes. It was oh. all confidential and everything. And they told me that, they called, because I'm, my first language is Polish, they called the priest. They got him all the way, like an hour drive. He came into the hospital. He got to see my daughter and him. He comes into the room, and I'm like, and the doctor introduces him to me, and he's like, yeah, this is the Polish priest. He's going to bless your daughter. He can do miracles. And I look at the priest, and I'm like, if you can do miracles, wake up my daughter, please. They they said that to you? This is the Polish priest? He can do miracles? Yeah, he can do miracles, yeah. And I look oh at the priest, I'm like, goodness. if you can do miracles, you wake up my daughter. Cassia needed someone to be with her. She turned to her best friend. At the time, he was being treated for prostate cancer. But when she called and explained what was happening, his wife packed him up and sent him to the hospital to be there for her a true friend who dropped everything to be there. Cassia needed him and is so thankful for this friend who helped her survive that day and many others to come. It, it was an experience that I would never, ever wish upon anybody, my worst enemies, I would never wish anybody to go through what I went through. And what did the police tell you when they got there? How did they handle the situation, and, wh and what exactly did they say they, to you? They asked me a lot of questions. Hey, what was going on at home? How could this happen? This and this. I'm like, what happened? And this. Oh, 
We couldn't save her. She bled to death. He took a knife and stabbed her in her heart, and he committed, and he hung himself. And I was like, you're dumping it all on me? The police did not show much sensitivity toward Cassia, this mother who was grieving, a mother just finding out that her husband stabbed her daughter in the heart and killed her, and then turned and killed himself. How does a mother even begin to process this information? Even though they weren't very supportive, or understanding, or kind, Cassia completely understands where the police were coming from. She told me that no one would know how to deal with a situation like this. This town had certainly never experienced such a tragedy, and the police just didn't know how to be supportive or understanding. They were also in a state of shock. Cassia is a remarkably understanding and exceptionally compassionate person. Putting herself in their shoes and not being devastated by the lack of empathy they showed her in the hours immediately after she learned this life-altering and devastating news. The police were trying to understand if physical abuse had been going on in this household and if Cassia knew about it and could have protected her daughter. That was how the police were thinking and looking at things. Hopefully the police get better training on how to speak with victims of homicide and how not to. There was no physical abuse in this household, no signs, none. Cassia lived in a house where all she saw was love being showered upon her daughter. He was not physically abusive from what you saw ever, right? No, he no. was the it opposite. Was only emotional. Yeah, he was the emotionally abusive with you and the opposite with her, doting and loving and Exactly. Exactly, exactly. So this is something on top of, I mean, he might have been an abusive uh, man in, in emotionally. If ever he was yeah, going to hurt anybody, it would not have been her. I mean, this is, this, it's like the opposite of what would have happened. Yes, but down the line, I found out a few years later that his father was emotionally abusing him. Oh. So that's where it all came from. My daughter was 15, my son would have been 17, 18. And were they both home when it when They this... were at home at that time. Oh my goodness. When this happened. How, oh, are, yeah. how are they doing? We're, we're doing good. We're like a normal human being besides the story behind, mm -hmm. but this has been six years now. Right, but you're obviously a very strong uh, woman to have you know, been able to also not only get through this horrible tragedy, but to help your two teenagers, because you hear so often that young people often can't cope well with, you know, small crises, let alone a tragedy like this. So, you know, I mean, what, tell me what you did in the after, in the days after, apart from the GoFundMe and being on the television, what else did you do to cope and help your children get uh, through. What, what I did is, like I say, we raised the $20,000. So I went to the cemetery. I picked the spot that first strikes me. I like it there. I paid a lot of money for it. I had my friends DJs. I wired them pictures of my daughter so I can have them in the funeral home on the big, big screen. 
People donated flowers to me. I had music wire that she liked. I had it all in the funeral home. The next day I went and bought her a dress. I, when she went to the funeral home, I obviously went there before everybody. I got to touch her and see her and hug her and everything. And I did her ponytails and I did her nail polish. I took it in a way that it was my last time ever that I'm going to be with her. So I did it like people do the weddings for the kids. I just flipped it the other way. That must have been so hard going and shopping for a dress for your daughter's burial. And, yeah, then, uh-huh. and then being at the funeral home and taking care of her. I mean, this is uh, something that obviously no one ever, ever plans to do. And in, in a tragic case like this, it must have been very, very difficult for you. Yeah, but I realized at that moment that this is the last time that I can do that. So I kind of switched my mind and I was like, okay, now I have you here. You're cold. You're this and this and you're not talking to me. But I can't do anything else. Tell me a little bit about the funeral. Uh, Were there a lot of people that came to it or was it private? No, a lot of people came to the funeral. It was... um, The funeral home, three of those spaces were open, like three rooms were open. There was a line in front of the funeral home, in the funeral home, because I had an open casket. I was there. Like I said, I had pictures on the big screen over her casket with her music. Uh, She liked Gangnam Style and Gummy Bear, and it was all in the funeral home. I... I had to do it my way because I knew at that moment that's the last time. The very next morning after Zuzana's murder, Cassia's teenage son had such insight and made a decision that was so beyond his years. He found out about counseling and insisted that Cassia go. This was a decision that helped her so much. She went every other day for several months. She went to individual counseling, needing that one-on-one and a private space to help work through this incomprehensible crime. The struggles that were going on within her were so incredibly difficult. She was asking God where he was when the evil was there, when the evil entered her house and her husband murdered her daughter. She asked, Where were you in that moment, God? Cassia knows the counseling helped her move forward in so many ways and was such a gift from her son. She is so thankful that he had her begin counseling immediately and her teenage daughter is a rock as well. She appreciates her daughter's courage and love. The police investigation, I'm guessing, was rather short, seeing as though it was quite clear that he had killed her and then killed himself. It was seven months, believe it or not. Seven months? Really? Why so long? Yes, yes. And uh, because they never had a case like this, Mm. three days later, I went to the police department and I asked them, what's going on? And the police officer handed me a letter that my husband wrote. He wrote a letter to me that he left in the house. And the letter said, 
I got enough of you. I am going to take my life, your daughter's life, and my father's life. This is your punishment for not wanting to be with me. I am going to hunt you down and come to you and see you every night. Once I got that letter in my hand, my house was open. Investigation was over. I went back to my own house, to the bedroom where it happened. And I had my crime scene just without them. Wow, that's... I, I looked at the crime scene there, being there. I could imagine what happened. That was the only one time I went back to my house. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. After that, you never yeah. went back? Yeah. I, I sold the house. I had the house cleaned. I gave away all the furniture. I kept a few pieces of clothing of hers. I gave away all my furniture, all her clothes, all his clothes to charity not to look at it. I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't look at it. Cassia is a formidable woman whose strength is awe-inspiring. She sold her house and moved to a new home with her two surviving children, working together to grieve and live. Having buried her precious three-year-old daughter, Zuzana, Cassia continued to show strength and courage to her children. They moved through this tragedy together as a family, leaning on each other, speaking to each other about their grieving process and what they are going through that day or that week, and on particularly bad days, asking for help from each other, grabbing on to any ideas one or the other may have on how to get through any particular moment. This also shows to Cassia's incredible gift that of being a wonderful mother, a mother who respects her children, includes them in her grieving process, and encourages them to grieve as well, wrapping her arms around them when they need love and support, but also accepting their arms to hold her when she needs assistance, guiding her back from her moments of despair. Cassia wanted to continue to do more to help others again showing such an example to her children about moving forward, and that in her case, helping others get out of abusive situations also helps her tremendously. In 2016, I decided to open up a non-for-profit charity. At first, I was thinking of working with parents like me, that another parent takes the life of a child or vice versa or something. But people don't want to talk about this. So then I took myself and did domestic violence training. And I realized going through training that I was actually a victim in my previous relationships with him and my ex. You see how you lived through domestic violence and didn't realize it. And this is why it's so important for the message to get out there about domestic violence so that people can know and understand that they are living through something that's not acceptable. So, yeah, tell me a little bit about the classes you took and what you've done. Yeah, I knew I was in there, but like I said, he was double personality. I knew what I was in inside, but nobody would believe me on the outside till it happened what happened. And then I go to training and the teacher is standing in front of me telling me, okay, 
one of the signs of abuse is somebody is, you're cooking something and somebody is like, yeah, I don't want chicken soup today. Why the hell did it you cook tomato soup? And it's begging, you're breathing on you. And it doesn't happen once, it happens twice. Or when someone is calling you in the middle of work, hey, what are you doing? Oh my God, I'm doing a customer. Oh, you were supposed to be home 10 minutes ago. And it's constant, constant, constant. And you're listening to the teacher and you're picturing yourself being there. And you didn't realize. One of my friends, I was looking for a name, and he comes up with Tears in Heaven. Obviously, Tears in Heaven is Eric Clapton's song. And his son jumped out of that big skyscraper window, and he he died. So if somebody hears Tears in Heaven, they associate it with the kid. So obviously, it's about my daughter. So everybody who hears that, they're like, yeah, Eric Clapton. I'm like, no. But the first thing they think is kids, little kids, and tragedy. So that brings up that something that Tears in Heaven is about the kids and the tragedy. Cassia wanted to continue to do more. During this trying time of the pandemic, she was sitting at home thinking about Zuzana, as she does each day. However, while she was not working, she had more downtime, more time to think of new ways to keep her daughter's memory alive thinking about other families who are living in abusive situations, thinking about other ways that she could help. She decided to do a video series about her life, starting at the time when she met her husband. Each video is about 12 minutes long and is her chatting, and chronicles the progression from when her relationship had started and was all love and spoiling compliments and suppers out to nice restaurants, the wooing that went on, how she fell in love with this man, the man she married, this man who betrayed her, and the videos continue through to when and how the emotional abuse started, and the small signs that began to emerge, right up until how it escalated to abuse and in her case, to the worst possible situation that could happen. Cassia wants to help other families. People who have viewed her videos have already begun to contact her and say, I never realized I was living in an abusive situation. Thank you for making it so clear. Thank you for helping me. This is the best thing Cassia can hear. The possibility that she has helped one person see the warning signs or accept that they are in an abusive relationship, or help them to leave, and possibly save a life. She encourages anyone who isn't sure what domestic violence is, or are concerned that possibly they are in a relationship that is leading up to a controlling and emotionally abusive or physically abusive relationship, or fear they are living through abuse but aren't sure because no one else sees it, she encourages them to watch her videos and begin to understand the warning signs. What advice would you give to someone who's in a domestic violence relationship? The first thing is they have to catch on to it. Then they have to realize they're there. Then the second thing is there is help out there. There is. All the victims are afraid of stepping out because what is my family going to say? What are my friends going to say? He's perfect or she's perfect. No matter what happens, it's going to change. 
if it constantly happens, it's not going to change. I always tell people there's help out there. No matter how bad it gets, you can always try to get out. Reach out. There's a lot of resources everywhere. Because so many victims I talk to on the phone, I never meet them. But I guide them through. I make them realize you're better than this. You can reach out. I can put a smile on your face. I can help you, guide you through it. So I get yourself ready to either move out or realize it's not the way to live. Now, if someone decided that they did want to leave an abusive domestic violence uh, situation, is there any specific advice you have on how to take the steps to do to do the actual leaving of the relationship? Yes, there is a process to it that you have to slowly start packing your stuff that's important, driver's licenses, marriage certificates, school paperwork, social security income taxes, mortgage payments, rent payments, those important things you have to start packing up in a bag and make sure you don't keep that bag at home. Make sure you have a friend or someone you trust that slowly you get it out of the house because when time comes and you have to leave unexpectedly, you're ready. The stuff is not there. You don't know what's going to happen. People don't realize that sometimes I tell victims there is a way that you can warn your neighbors or your friends or something, create a code on your phone when something is going wrong at home. You, let's say, send someone a sunshine. A sunshine means it's bad at home. Or where you send them a moon, come get me now. I'll call 911. It's bad. Or shades inside of the house for neighbors. When the situation is escalating, I put my shades halfway. The victim doesn't realize that it does nothing different, right? Right. Or when something is going bad, put a cup that's red inside of the window. So if my neighbor looks at it, they know it's a sign I'm arguing with the other party. Or come get me, knock on the door. You can set up different things that, some other people from the outside can help you. That's how I guide my victims. I'm like, there is a way out. There is a situation out of the situation. You can get help outside. And then if they ever see that red cup in the window, it may save somebody's life. It really might. Exactly. Because in, during fights and arguments, what goes first? Your phone goes smash against the window. Mm-hmm. You can't make a phone call. But if you have a different signs or something with the other people, you can do it. When I walk people through it, I ask them, who do you trust? Maybe your friend, maybe your mom, maybe this, maybe this. Like I said, those messages that you send someone, you have that code. Right. Who do you trust? That is a good point. Who do you trust? Who do you trust? If you don't trust anyone, I'm here for you. Even in the middle of the night, I worked with a victim. They would put out, pack out bags and put out in front of the house. I would drive there in the middle of the night, pick it up, take it home. Is there anything else you'd like to share today about uh, your story? Yeah, I would like to just share this, that no matter how life, how bad life gets and how much bad happens in your life, you can always, no matter if you hit the bottom, Whatever happens, 
you can turn this all into positive because like you're like I'm thinking nothing worse can happen and if it wouldn't be for my daughter being murdered I would not be here for sure I would not have the non-for-profit I wouldn't have met Steve because it's because of Steve I'm talking to you I wouldn't have met all those other parents last year that went through tragic like mine like we keep each other company we are there for each other i know i'm not the only one it helps know that i've been down there and i'm up and there's so many more other parents that have been there but we picked ourselves up and we're a good example and we can be there for somebody else cassia refers to steve Steve is Kelsey Roberts' father from episode 18 in this podcast, another strong person who helps others after having suffered the tragic murder of his 11-year-old daughter. Please remember that smiling is a powerful tool and can change someone's entire day. If you know someone is struggling in life, don't avert your eyes. Don't avoid them. Instead, step up, make eye contact and smile. Ask how they are doing. Ask if there is anything you can do for them. Be there. Such a small thing to do, but with such a huge potential outcome. Cassia is doing another amazing campaign to help people in abusive situations. I really find this to be brilliant and so helpful. I went last year, and they had chapstick, regular chapstick that you look at. But inside of a chapstick was a note with signs of abuse, with domestic violence hotlines, uh, suicide hotlines. I went home, and I created a note that fits into that chapstick. It's rolled up. I ordered empty chapsticks, and I put a note in them that says, that tells you, if you're with someone who threatens you, abuses you, blames you for this or this, the other side says domestic violence hotline, suicide hotline, some shelter homes around Chicago. Or what do you do when you pack your bag? What would you put in your bag? I call it a safe bag. Your social securities, your papers, your school things, your this and this. It's all on the piece of paper and it's put into a chapstick. The label says chapstick, ingredients, whatever, whatever. It's not a chapstick. It's a note. Now, you think you're going through domestic violence or your friends are going. Reach out to me. I'll put that chapstick into an envelope, send it to you, hand it to someone. When an abuser is going through your bag, pulling out your stuff, your lipstick, your chapstick, your phone, your wallet, he's going to look or she's going to look through the wallet. Is he or she going to think the chapstick has a note? No. Chapstick out, out, next, next, next. That's brilliant. I love it. That is that is so, so smart. I hope people that know somebody that is potentially in an, in an abusive relationship contacts you for that chapstick because they could save a life. And through you... Can you can save a life yes. by just handing it to someone. That someone gets it, looks at it, and reads the signs or something, maybe I'm here. 
even if it's a different state, it's not hard for me to find a different state and shelter homes and put it on the piece of paper, put it into a chapstick and send it to them. It doesn't have to be Chicago. If you think you know someone who is an abuser and don't know what to do, challenging them isn't necessarily the best plan. Speak to your friend about their relationship. Mention things like what you do with your partner. Say something like, we love to cook together. Do you guys do that? See what their reaction is like. How do they refer to their partner? Do they use derogatory terms? Do they use profane language to describe them? These are potential triggers for you to watch for and be wary of. You can also speak of how you compliment your spouse. And that's another thing that could trigger some idea of how your friend treats their partner. Do they scoff at the idea of being complimentary? Do they speak ill of their partner? If you see signs of abuse, try to get them out of there. Help them in any way you can. Seek out professional help to get the proper guidance you may need to help them. Or perhaps encourage them to speak to a professional. Be very careful. When a victim of domestic violence wants to leave, this is usually the most dangerous time for the loved one. This particular podcast episode is tantamount to that. We all need to be good citizens and look out for others. We can't allow abuse to go on. We don't want any more tragedies in this world. Any more murders of innocent victims. Of we children. The precious people that should be here leading the world into the future. We need to be sure that proper examples are being set in homes. We need to end the abuse. If you don't know what to say or how to help, give them one of the chapsticks. It will at least be a start. Cassia will continue to fight for others. She wants to end abuse, but is happy to help one person at a time. She is an incredibly strong woman, a leader, someone that her children are undoubtedly very proud of. Someone I am surely proud of. It is unbelievable to most of us what she has had to live with, accept, move on from. But there she is, raising two wonderful children while helping others. Cassia is making a difference under the most dire of circumstances, putting herself out there to help others, possibly not suffer like she has, not have to live through such tragedy and devastation. Thank you, Cassia. Well, I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. And I really, really appreciate you. And it was such a pleasure talking to you. And I really enjoy doing stuff like this. Oh, Like I say, if I can change one life, I'm like, I won't. Exactly. And that's why I'm happy to have you on as well, because I hope that we are able to change a life today. Yes, I would think so. Thank you so much. And I, I look forward to hearing from you and listening to that. Okay, I, ho- I, I look forward to sending it to you. Thank you so much. Have a good night. And you too. You stay well. You too. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. 
Hi, everyone. I want to take a moment to send a huge thank you out to our most recent PayPal supporters. Those donations help us to be able to produce our weekly episode, Giving a Voice to the Loved Ones of Murder Victims. So, a big thank you to Dan and Lynn and Robert and Catherine and John. Thanks so much, guys. I just wanted to let you know that we now have a Patreon link that you can access in the episode show notes. You can contribute as little as $1 a month or send a one-time payment through our PayPal account, also in our show notes, or at morningthemurdered at gmail.com. These contributions allow us to continue producing a weekly episode helping families be able to tell their loved ones' stories. I want to thank you all so much for your support. And don't forget to join our Facebook group. I'm not quite sure how people move on after a tragedy. There are support groups online and face-to-face, and there are books and family and friends to lean on. But in reality, when someone loses a loved one to murder, they lose a piece of themselves that can never be returned. Memories are all that are left. So talk about your loved one and let the world know how important they will be to you forever. These memories become valuable treasures. No one will ever understand your pain, but surround yourself with those that can understand how important it is for you to share your story. I will now light a candle for the victim and their loved ones, ensuring their memory lives on and burns brightly. You are remembered. I want to take a moment and extend my most sincere and humble gratitude to each and every one of you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, or if you would like your voice to be heard on Morning the Murdered and tell the story of your loved one, email me at morningthemurdered at gmail.com. That's M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G-T-H-E-M-U-R-D-E-R-E-D at gmail.com. Thank you to Dennis for editing this podcast. You are absolutely indispensable. Thank you so much. A huge shout out to Patrick for creating the original music that you hear. And the artwork for this podcast was created by Talia with support from Matt and Mick. Thanks so much, guys.